Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson. Brian, how it goes tonight? Yeah, buddy, we're back on a Wednesday night. Just watched the Hokies close out a tight one at the end, even though the first half was pretty much all Hokies. So uh, good good to close that one out and a good Wednesday night so far, man. Good W. Hopefully gets us on the right side of Bernardi's Bracketology. We were just outside. Hopefully that win gets us just inside. But it's been a couple weeks. We're, we're in the off-season mode. Every few weeks we're showing up on Wednesday nights here for you guys. Last time it was Thursday. We're going to try to aim for Wednesdays most weeks. And, man, we've got a show tonight, Brian. So much stuff. A pro press conference. Some transfers. Some guys staying. Some guys leaving. Coaches' salaries, which was eye-opening. But let's start with something real fun tonight, Brian. If you have not seen already Hokie Nation, go look up on VT Twitter, VT Instagram, or the Facebook page. Coach Pry gets involved in the traditional first snow fight of the year. Snowball fight. The snow fight. The snow fight between the student body and the Corps of Cadets. And it was, it's refreshing. It's he was having a blast, and Brian was was he making just nice little little snowballs you throw at your kids to have? No, nah, he, he was chucking coconuts, man. <laughs> Not just chucking coconuts. I mean, he was in the motion, like oh yeah, oh yeah, them. He was like swinging. Um, the kids are jacked. They show the video, and and as he's walking towards it, you hear somebody say. Holy mother! I don't know if they said holy shit or what, they, but you could hear. Oh my god, it's Coach! And he gets swarmed, and and then the next thing you know, he's walking across to the core. And what was so cool about it at first, it was they were just you, you could see they didn't know what it was, and then all of a sudden that first guy noticed, and then the rest of them noticed. Yep, and just exuberance from them. Yeah, it's it's good to see a guy that gets Virginia Tech like Pry does. Um, and I mean, I know we, we're we've said this probably ad nauseum. It's been all over Twitter. Yes. You know, this guy gets it. Like, I'm, I, it's getting cliche at this point. But this guy fucking gets it. He does. Not only <laughs> there's, there's no other way to say it. The staff gets it. The yeah, staff gets it. You know, think Derek Jones the other week. He talked about going off the road. He goes into PK to get some wings. That's what students do. That's what we did. You know, when we visited Tech as undergrads, you go to PKs, you get some wings. He got his own lemon pepper wet that he named the cheetah wing. Which, <laughs> I'm not a big dry guy, but I got to say, that 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 sounds pretty good, those wings. You see them taking pictures out in the community. Like, they get it. It's like. This is home is truly a it's no longer just a slogan. Yeah. It is like they're they're they they get it. Like let's get in here, get in the community, do some fun things, go to places people go, be seen. And, and it doesn't feel forced. And I think that's no. the big thing. It feels authentic. Uh, if 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 it was like checking boxes, like no, that would be one thing. But I mean this feel it feels authentic. Um it looks like they genuinely enjoy getting out in the community enjoy interacting with the folks in blacksburg 
enjoy as as Pry did participating in a hokey tradition. Yep. Um, it just it feels different, man. And I mean, I know, you, you know, you, you can only win the first off season once, but yes, they can. are, they are, they are kicking its ass right now. They are going hard after it to win the off season. And I tell you, you know, last week we also had him go hard at that press conference, knocking it out of the ballpark again. Brian, we got so much to unload to this thing. Um, you got new hires. He talks about numerous members of the staff, but let's start with this. When he was talking about how he put the staff together, he, he he had a few things he'd said. And I know the one that caught your eye, and then as we look at the guys, it kind of makes sense. It's that he talked about he wanted a good blend of young guys who have high football IQs. To me, I hear he says that he's saying Chris Marfie, he's saying Tyler Bowen. Yep. And with high ceilings. And then he's talking about just veteran guys that can recruit. And I you know, every piece of this staff, it, it looks that way. It looks that way, and it looks like the staff was put together with thought. It wasn't just who are the guys I can bring in. It was all right, which 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 guys are going to work with the others? Which pieces are going to get us what we need on the recruiting trail, on the football field, and off the football field because that that stuff is important too, and. It seems like the 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 mix, the blend that he was able to come up with, um, is looking good so far. Again, we're still early. Uh, we we've got some some good early returns, and obviously the enthusiasm that they're bringing to the table is um, is next level right now. So, yeah, um, you know, obviously, it, again, we'll, we'll see what that that trends in the future, but. Yeah, as you said, Marv, Bowen, both the high football IQ guys, high ceiling. And, you know, you got veterans on the staff. You got Quinn. You got Glenn. Um, Holt. Yeah, Holt. Um, you got Cheetah, obviously. Um, yeah. So you got guys that can recruit and get guys in the building, too. So It's it's also funny because something he mentioned, and if you and just kind of go back to the DNA of what Virginia Tech is. He talked about, I needed guys that fit BT. And sort of BTs, it's we're one of those cultures where are we just all super? It's, a lot of people always say, "Well, we're really a blue collar program." No, there are parts of this program that are really blue collar. Guys who work their butts off, Sean Quinns, yep. and guys like Brad Glenn who have worked their butts off to get somewhere like this. Heck yeah! But we're still a DBU. We still had some of the most electric running backs in the two thousands. Yep, we have some swag. And you kind of see, you know, we see Cheetah and you see Marv and you see some of these other guys. They have that little bit of swag. That's what blended so well for so many years where, yes, we have a blue-collar worth ethic. But if we get a chance to dog you, we're going to dog you. We're going to swag you out. Yeah, and, and, and that's what it seems like he knew. Like, I just don't need a bunch of blue-collar guys, but I don't need a bunch of just swag guys. I got to have a blend of them. And were, were you shocked, Brian, when he kind of mentioned that he had friends that wanted to, you know, come here? And he basically said, you don't make sense here. And he basically said he had to make tough phone calls to friends of his to say, I'm not hiring you. Yeah, we didn't get a Cornelson here um, as, re- <laughs> as a result of this hiring process. Um <laughs> I mean, I'll call it like it is. I mean, at at this point, 
he's hiring guys he knows. He's hiring guys he's had he's crossed paths with, but he's not hiring a direct uh, or even a handful of direct proteges or guys he's worked with for many many years consecutively. Yeah. Um, it's it, this is not the the a buddy buddy system. Nope. Um, but but at the same time, it's a it's a good collection of guys whose um, personalities seem to mesh well, even when they're not necessarily similar, right? Absolutely, that's a biggie. And you know, the other thing is kind of like they asked him what were what was he looking for in guys, right? He was talking about he he wanted people skills. Yep, he wanted to people to be able to relate to the families and players. I think that's big, especially in recruiting. You've got to know the areas of the state, the areas of the region. Um, he wanted great communicators. And, you know, he talked about harboring the former player relationships. And it looks like, obviously, with, you know, J.C. and Pearson, that's helping. But, you know, we saw that, like, you know, if following Twitter today, the last few days, they're, you know, J.C. Price, even though he's a Hokie, goes into L.C. Bird, and his pitcher's not even with the football coach. He finds that it's a former basketball player he knew when he went there, right? Yep. And then some of these other guys taking pictures with – who was it that took a picture with someone that knew J.C.? Not even a football player, but knew J.C., and he's the principal at the school. And you see that, and it's just like – you talk about people skills. That's understanding – I'm new here. Where's our relationship? How can we build a relationship? Yep. And finding that commonality in, in areas that aren't traditional too. I mean, you talk about just fostering those relationships with folks in the school. I mean, having a good relationship doesn't just start with the head coach of that, that team. It's, it's kind of a trickle down across the board. And when you've got those type of relationships that you can tap into, it's only going to make the recruiting process easier and when we talk about former players, I mean, we're going to talk about him in a little bit here when we get to him. But, um, you know, we already had JC and uh, and Pearson on here, but we got somebody else off the field that's yep. pretty big in terms of former player relationships as well. Um, so that's big. Obviously, people skills uh, and and just the communication in general, I think, is the big thing. This staff seems to understand communication both with the fan base with the players with the high school coaches they they get the importance of the communication piece and we're seeing that play out in real time um in terms of just general pr and 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 well feeling well about the program this is as high as it's been in a while we haven't even won any games yet like not and i know we, we talk about honeymoon period but this is different because we're actually seeing a difference. It's not just, okay, new coach, there's hope. We're actually seeing tangible differences happen already in this process. New coach, there's always hope with the new coach. That's any organization. That's anything like that. We both went through that with our NFL teams the last few years. But, again, it's there's a change. We see the presence. We see things being done differently. We see that. This is a change. This is a culture change for the better. This is a culture change back to what Virginia Tech does best. And, and I'll tell you something else that really impressed me, that during this interview, he talked about the, the, the coaches, obviously. That was easy. But him giving specific shout-outs to 
Villagrana, Hazel, and Galt. Just like he specified and made sure that they were mentioned. Yep. And, and that tells you a lot about his leadership skills because those guys are behind the scenes. We likely will never see them in front of a microphone getting interviewed by the press because of the jobs they do. But yep. he made sure in that presser to specifically mention them. And that says a lot about his leadership skills in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the most we might ever see them is like one of those quick cut uh, videos that get dropped on the, uh, the Twitter timeline from the football account. Um, Something, something like quickly running through um, this or that, or like they did with, uh, with Hillgard doing some of the strength and conditioning uh, discussions before the workouts you might see Galt doing something like that, but you're not going to see these guys front and center, you know, week to week, month to month. Mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of very, very one off at, at best. And again, Galt's probably the the leader on that just because of the strength and, and conditioning aspect of his job. Absolutely. All right, Brian, well, let's turn to it. We've got some new hires to discuss. And finally, we get to discuss officially. Yeah. Tyler Bowen named offensive coordinator and tight ends coach Bowen. If you guys haven't done your research on him, he played at Maryland um, 2007 to 2009. He was an offensive lineman. I think Brian's immediately excited. And O lineman is now the OC, but O lineman make the best OCs book it. (laughs) But essentially after he, you know, got out, he immediately started coaching student assistant down at Maryland, then a GA moved over to Towson as a G, as a tight ends coach then up to Penn State then he kind of got his season in i think probably what we can expect he went to Fordham Joe Moorhead's a head coach he was the o-line coach there in 15 with Moorhead Moorhead goes to Penn State after that he takes over OC duties um explosive offense coach Chase Edmonds into being a fourth-round pick from Fordham. If you don't know where Fordham is, it's in New York City. They don't have a lot of NFL players in this day and age. If you know your history, the seven blocks of granite were at Fordham. Um, Read on that, Vince Lombardi. Yep, the Bronx. And then OL coach at Maryland, then tight end coach and uh, recruiting coordinator at Penn State for a few years. Then you get the co-OC title like we've talked about up at Penn State. And then finally, you know, he was down in Jacksonville this year as a tight ends coach. You know, whatever happened at Penn State is what happened. But, Brian, what else do you feel – what else, you know, hearing from Pry that really got you excited? Because I like that resume. Tells me the guy wants to be a football coach and is invested in it. Yeah, he, he wants to be a coach. Um, and just circling back to what Pry said, uh, very high IQ guy. Um, you know, call the call the Cotton Bowl when they dropped over fifty points. Yes, they did. Familiar with the offensive style that Pry likes to run. Um, very mm. knowledgeable of the game. Uh, recruiting in the DMV in Virginia area while He's he was good. at Penn State. Yeah, <laughs> go to two four seven and look up. This guy can recruit now. Elite, yeah. elite recruiter. So he clearly has a game there. And, you know, I, the one thing that was interesting to me that he talked about was the whole Jacksonville situation. Yeah. Um, Jags wouldn't give him a, re- a release. Um, my assumption is that he was higher on the pecking order once Urban was out in terms of the offense and, and his role in it. So yeah. they probably didn't want to let him out of that, whereas some of the couple other guys that 
I know it was like two weeks later, but they got a release uh, from their deal while, you know, uh, yeah. Bowen had to stay on to the end there. But um, he was able to work with uh, the GM down there so he could vet all the offensive staff as they were moving along in the process there. So that was important. And it was important for us to know that because, you know, you don't want just to assume that prize hiring all the, these guys that are, you know, working under Bowen very heavily and, and he didn't have a say in the process. So knowing that he was, uh, you know, in on that, had those conversations with the coaches and got to have those conversations with pride before the hire was made. I think that's important. Yeah, well, first of all, the GM of the Jags is Trent Balky, the former 49ers GM, who ran Harbaugh out of town after basically that guy came in and put us in the Super Bowl and put us winning for four consecutive years. So I think he's a jerk, first of all. Curtis is salty. I don't I don't like Trent Balky at all. He doesn't know how to draft players either. He he drafted a lot of torn ACL guys and a lot of guys way too early, in my opinion. But that being said, I think it's what Brian said, because with Jacksonville, Daryl Bevel, the OC, he became the head coach, and Brian Schottenheimer became the OC. So I have a feeling where he was in the pecking order, he probably became like the pass game coordinator or the run game coordinator in that situation. He was was working right under Schottenheimer. He he, he was working pretty up there, um, which is is a good thing, because that tells you that guys like Daryl Bevel – Brian Schottenheimer, long-tenured NFL coaches, had a lot of confidence in that guy. And you talk about – you heard him vet it. He vetted every single person on the staff. This is his staff, and this is kind of how Brent Price said it. It's his staff. He vetted all these guys. These are his guys. This isn't like Brent said, hire this guy. Yeah. Um, and as far as the offense goes, you hear style. He's the style I want to run. Kept digging around. We're going to run the ball. It's not even a question about it, how how we run it and who we run it with. But I look back at the Fordham stats from 2016, and basically it was a three-to-two run to pass. Um, and that's kind of Moorhead's deal, too. Always more run than pass. The passing game, though, it's not completely forgotten about. Um, I can't wait for Brian to get into looking at some of these schemes of what we can expect. Obviously, being a tight end's, coach um i think we're going to get some i mean he coached jaseki he coached Fairbooth. he's coached quite a few number of tight ends who are in the league and at the top end so you know really love this about him it was one of those names when you heard it you read it immediately liked it but brian let's look to the next position because two weeks ago we were hearing mike brown and we were hearing tony washington we were and this this was out in public. This wasn't behind paywalls. This wasn't somebody DMing us saying, hey, this is what we're hearing. These were public acknowledgments. And then all of a sudden, it comes down. Well, we're hiring somebody. Virginia Connections. And then... Literally. Literally. <laughs> Fontel Mines is named the wide receiver coach. Fontel Mines played at UVA back from 2007 to 2000, um, excuse me, 2002 to 2006. So obviously from some of their better years in the early 2000s. And then he spent three years with the Bears and the pros. And with him, 
not long after getting out of the pros, again, right to coaching. Didn't waste any time. Started out here at Hermitage High School, then moved down to Chowan down in North Carolina, coaching receivers and tight ends. Then back to Richmond, working at U of R with wide receivers and tight ends from 13, from 12 to 14, or excuse me, 12 to 16. Then moves over to JMU um, for a couple good years there, Mike Houston years. Travel with um, – goes down to ECU after that, receivers and tight ends, and then ODU last year. He's a UVA grad. I, you know, some people will hate it. Some people will love it. Some people will just love to rub salt in the wounds of UVA fans, basically saying this is one of your own and he'd rather coach here. Um, but and that's we'll, fun. <laughs> that's, that's fun. Although the, the tech fans that hate it, you got it like, listen, this guy's a good coach. This guy's a good recruiter. But what more did Coach Pry talk about with uh, Fontel there? Well, obviously a lot of Virginia ties, but also he has a uh, a big closeness with a lot of former Hokies between guys that played in the 804, guys he played against when he was at UVA. Uh, and obviously he played against some damn good Hokie teams when he was at UVA there. Um, looks like he was one of the, I guess, probably the first full class that grow uh, yeah. recruited um, <clears throat> during that transition there. So, but I mean, I you noticed numerous, numerous former Hokies talking this guy up and, and that, I think that speaks a lot um, to his ability and, yep. you know, he's worked with wide receiver most of his career. So he's, he's definitely a seasoned coach on that front. So we're getting, we're getting a pretty seasoned coach despite his age. And we're getting a guy that can recruit the hell out of Virginia. And I think that's a good one, two punch right there. Yeah. The, the recruiting thing is big and, and you're hearing more stories about him that he's basically been recruiting Virginia his whole career. It makes sense between U of R, JMU and ECU. Um, in the way it looks, he's going to have two certain territories, very crucial to this state. Um, but it, it, it just seems like he's younger, he has the experience. I know a lot of people are like, well, he coached tight ends and he was a tight end. The majority of his game has been at wide receiver since he became a coach. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it was just nice to see a lot of the former Hokies that, again, uh, our era, and I say of our era when we were younger, like congratulating, happy, you know, joking with them a little bit, like, you know, you got to the right side. And it's it's one of these things, too, that let's think here. Well, I can put this. He seems like he's going to be a culture fit because he, you know, he seems one of those blue-collar guys, right, play tight end went to Hermitage, and has worked his way up here. Didn't, didn't like, come out and immediately get a couple jobs, and then he's in D1. Literally had to work his way up to D1. Yep. And it's that whole thing we're talking about, blue-collar or flash. It seems like there's a lot of blue-collar in him, and I think a lot of it's going to pay dividends because it seems like this guy, people like him, and he's been recruiting coordinators at several different places. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what he can do. Um, I, I like what I'm already seeing on the road. He was with uh, Coach Pry this week. They were down at Oscar Smith, um, down at a bunch of other uh, schools in the 757 this week so far. 
Um, where did they hit up today? They were in... Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. Uh, uh, Western Branch. Western Branch. Western yeah, Branch today. <laughs> There's a big one down there. There's <laughs> a big receiver down there. That yeah, just a yeah. little bit. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a good fit. And um, again, I, I'm sure he's going to get some grief here and there between some of the hokey players that are on the uh, staff. But I, I think he's going to be a solid addition. But Brian, not done yet. Let's start getting to the support staff. And let's talk about this one before we talk about the big one. Brian Chris hired as the senior offensive analyst. If you didn't know, because it probably wasn't talked about or even spoken to with people, he was hired last year as just an offensive analyst for the old staff, um, and he hangs around. Chris, native of Blacksburg, brother coaches at Radford. Dad's a legendary coach, um, you know, here. Hampton Sydney graduate Brian. Yep. Um, did a uh, coached with pride down at Louisiana Lafayette with Bustle back in the day. They both were GAs together in '95. Um, you know, or part of a UMass staff that won the FCS back in the late 1990s. Was under Polini up at Youngstown State as his OC. So he has a good track record. He he does not have a lot of big known stops, but it seems like he's a very respected. Um, offensive mind. Yeah, it seems that way. You know, they gave him the senior analyst title there. And uh, I think the, the thing that I liked the most that when he was talking about Chris and he's like, yeah, he's a senior offensive analyst, but we might have him on the defensive side of the ball. And the more I got to think about, it, I was like, okay, this, this kind of makes sense because as a defensive coach, Sometimes you get a little bit into the weeds. It's nice to have a offensive minded person on, on your side of the ball, on your practice field that can say, Hey, if you do this, you know, we can counter with this. It's going to be pretty easy to take advantage of that scheme um, or that call, you know, whatever it may be. Um, Having somebody that, that has that type of history has that relationship and can make those kind of calls on the defensive side, see things through the offense's eyes. Um, that That's going to be big for them, I think. Um, and, and that's the type of role I kind of envision when Pry was talking about, you know, you might see him on the defensive side of the ball um, as an offensive analyst. So um, looking forward to see what Chris can do. Obviously he was there last year. So let's see if he can keep it moving. Yeah. And again, guy probably with connections around the, you know, the local area there as far as recruiting goes. I know they can't touch it, but never hurts to have somebody that's in somebody else's ear. All right, Brian, this one was big. And we got notified by this, and it, it, we kind of got tea leaves, that it was a, if you liked, if you watched in the 2000s, you're going to love it. Yep. Well, First of all, that makes your head go a thousand miles an hour because there were so many great players in the two thousands. And then we finally got wind that it was going to be Xavier DB hire as a defensive analyst. Brian's talked about it, and I cannot remember Brian on our Mount Rushmore. Yes, no, I can't remember that far back. I'm getting too old for this shit. I want to say he made it. I can't remember though. Either way, he was he, he belongs there for sure. Uh, Brian's favorite linebacker. He's, he's, he's definitely in the in the discussion, no doubt. Um, yeah. 
So, but anyway, if you don't know, if you're a younger Hokies fan, Xavier Didi was the prototypical perfect backer. Perfect. All-American. Two-time All-ACC selection. Two-time ACC champion. Fourth-round draft pick of Houston. Played several years. Was inducted into the Hall of Fame this past season. And having that guy back just as culture is one thing. That's that's huge. But yep. he's been building his resume up for a few years here now. You know, he started at Arkansas as an analyst and then worked his way into D2 and basically had his defense at Texas A&M Commerce given up under 215 yards a game, under 13 points a game, was one of the finalists for like a, a off, or what is it? Uh coordinator of the year for D2. Yeah. In a short period of time has basically exploded on the scene and luckily he's ours. Yeah, I mean he was always really high IQ for a linebacker, um especially somebody that wasn't playing Mike. Um and I mean he really did did a little bit of everything. Um you know, when we think about some of those big plays from a DB, we, we a lot of times it's those interceptions. It wasn't necessarily big hits. I mean, we had those too, but yeah. he had some really key interceptions, uh, a couple going back for scores. That Small really, one, Yeah. Pick, pick six to the house on my side of the field. There you go. I was feeling uh, good that day, but I still can remember. <laughs> and they always came at those opportune times too, right? So yep. having a guy that has that type of awareness um, has done the things that he's done in his short career as a coach Obviously, the NFL experience, mostly with the Texans. Um, and, you know, just some of the things that Pry was talking about with the conversations he had with Bud Foster about him. And obviously, Pry was saying, you know, he knew who who DB was. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, word is he was using some of the DB tape uh, when coaching uh, areas at Penn State. So. Yeah. <laughs> So it's great to have a guy like that back in the building. And it's that whole thing of, as you know, we've, we've heard about the alumni calls and stuff, but as you start bringing back, and don't get me wrong, having guys like JGW and having Keyshawn and having Jack and them, um, yes, they did. Love to see Vince Hall back too, Robbie. Um, but it would be great to see that. Um, so – but having him back, it just says a lot. It understand it tells you probably understands the culture. But it's also one of those things as you look forward as quick as he's rose up, and I know he was an analyst and he was a D two and now he's here. You know, if if Chris Marv is what we think he can be, you're gonna have to have somebody. And why not bring somebody in like, you know, Xavier? Yeah. Because you know no one will love this place more than him. Exactly. Exactly. And I think um, we're going to see some dividends from that pretty quick. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what he does, seeing what type of role he's going to have as that defensive analyst. Yep. All right. So we already mentioned it earlier, but coach did give Dwight Galt, as he calls him, Deej, a big shout out, talking about the all-season program that's going to be starting pretty soon here. I don't think it started this week. I think it starts next week. I might be wrong. You know, but – discussing him basically a DJ is a pretty young guy, but obviously he worked with his dad for so long at, you know, between Vanderbilt and Penn state. And 
you know, he was just sitting there talking about like Deej is a real culture driver. And when I hear that, that tells me whatever Pry wants to get done off season wise, he knows that Deej is going to put that into effect. Yeah, yeah. The, the culture driver piece was big for me. Um he said as like minded as anybody on the staff. Um <laughs> he gets he gets pry, he gets the vision. Uh, I'm gonna say it right now, no more beach body shit. <laughs> that that that's cooked. It's Functional over. Strength. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, when 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 he talked about the the training process, you know, he talked about the adversity that people go through in that, and that really kind of tells you a lot about the character of the player, what they can handle, what they can't handle, uh, whether they're ready ready for a leadership role, whether they lead by example. Uh, whether they're more vocal, um, you know, I think him talking about that really gets that he understands that that how how important that relationship is, especially early in a a new uh, regime here, because you get a lay of the land. That's really going to be your your first line of defense to to kind of give you that lay of the land. Absolutely. The other thing he talked about was he really trusts Dwight in those adverse situations, and he talked about how. You know, this is how you recognize who your leaders are earlier. And if you kind of go back when he talks about he knows Prime, he knows his vision, that's the guy you want because if the guy knows your vision, you're very like-minded, you're gonna he's gonna be going in there saying that's gonna be a captain. Yep. That guy's not the captain, but he's the dog on defense. Well, also that, knowing guys that you can push to get more out of them and guys yep. that you need to kind of bring along, yep, uh, you know, slower. with a little with a little more uh thought right so, some guys thrive off getting pushed getting getting that uh getting in their face and and some guys need a minds. little bit more mental right need a little yeah, bit more well, mental. some guys some guys minds can't handle that the physical pushing and they can be superior athletes and they can be great players they can be great individuals but you have to do it a little bit yeah. and i'm sure that's going to be related and i think that's why i keep hearing i keep thinking like-minded like-minded I'm sure there's going to be times where you're probably going to hear. I'm sure probably uses it. This is what Deej made you do. And this is the same thing I'm going to make you do. Yep. And if you have that sort of connection, essentially there's no change, right? From season or anything. It's all one level. This is how we're doing it. When coach is done with us, we're going to Deej next. Deej just like coach. Yep. There's no like, this guy's really hard on us. Coach is softer on us or coach is soft on us. And this guy tries to kill us. You don't, you can't, to me, you can't have that in the sport of football. It's gotta be same level type stuff, man. And it looks like that's why Deej was hired and Deej is a young guy. And hopefully Deej is around here for a long time and we can get uh Deejified instead of gentrified. All right, Brian, when, you heard that Pride did not reach out to Joe Rudolph. Joe Rudolph reached out to Pride. What was your first thought? Uh, damn, that's some that's some big mood energy right there because, uh, <laughs> I, you know, we, we thought that this was something that Pride kind of went out on a limb for, but it sounds like Rudolph was looking for a change. Had a had a connection with with somebody else here, at Virginia Tech. Got it. Got in touch with Pry. Um, said, hey, looking for a change, looking for a little bit uh, closer to family. Um, and Pry laid out his vision, 
talked about what he wants to get from an offensive line. And, you know, the next thing you know, we, we got Joe Rudolph as our offensive line coach. Yeah. And we talked about it two weeks ago. It, it, it got us ecstatic. And, you know, he, he mentioned really specifically how Joe was from the Pittsburgh area. Joe yep. coached at Pitt. And listen, Pitt is about a five, five and a half hour drive to Tech. So if you have a lot of family there, a lot easier from going there down to Blacksburg and there to Madison. So I wonder if that's a, one of the big driving forces. But what got me jacked and in, in, in when Price said, here's my vision of the offensive line and what he does is what I want to do. Brian, we, we know how good Wisconsin's offensive lines have been for years. We've talked about it before. And when you hear that again, it starts the, 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 everything starts turning inside. Like we're going to go try to literally slam it down people's throats. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and the other piece is the recruiting piece is he has always recruited the Western part of Pennsylvania or the Eastern part of Ohio. And those are areas that really in the last five years we've neglected. And yeah. pulled some good players out of those areas. So love hearing that we're going to get back into that football-rich area of the country. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we always talk about Penn State coming down into Virginia and eating our lunch. They've been eating our lunch in in their own backyard too, uh, where we used to go with with some degree of frequency that we really don't don't really tap into anymore. So uh, getting a guy that really can has has relationships with with coaches and uh, and families there. Um, can really tap into those. I think that's going to be big for us, uh, you know, aside from the on the field stuff, which I think is probably in terms of on the field, this is probably the best hire I think of the staff in terms of what we can get uh, from the on the field product. So absolutely. All right. Next call, Brian. And this was, I don't know if this was a shocker. Maybe it was to some of us, but he talked about Sean Quinn and he talked about Sean Quinn being that first call. Um, was what what do you think this was? Do you think he just saw Quinn's why do you think Sean Quinn was the first call? Because he doesn't have the greatest resume. Why? Uh he seems like his personality really kind of fits the vision of what Pry is trying to do. Um and I think he gets the, you know, we talked about the swag and then the blue collar mentality kind of a hybrid. You know, I think he kind of under he understands that. Right. He's a guy that's had to grind, but he's also a guy that's, um, you know, had to coach players that, you know, were, were probably bringing some from different areas. So, um, you know, I think that it wasn't just the the blue collar mentality. I think he's bringing a little bit of everything there, but he's a guy that had to grind uh, for a lot of years. He's a guy that probably got passed over for a couple opportunities throughout the way. And I think Price saw a good opportunity to get, um, a guy that really aligned with his vision on the staff. And it really, he's been crushing it since he's been here. I mean, we, we see him on Twitter, dude, for a 49 year old coach, he is on Twitter and, and, and really engaging with the fan base, engaging with the folks that he's visiting on the, on the recruiting trail. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, found outside of China, he's tweeting more than anybody else. And found a great burger joint while visiting up in Nova this week. Um, and literally every coach he'd come in contact with, he's made sure to put them on Twitter and thanking them. And yep. And, and then not just saying thank you for letting me be here, but everything is a little snippet. 
you know, one of the coaches I mentioned, hey, good, thank you for having me at this school, coach, and yada, yada. Hey, it was great talking the defense for you today. He's making sure he's – it's like that little personal touch on every single tweet for each coach. And, you know, I, I mean – Maybe that was it. Maybe in, in Brent Pry's mind, Sean Quinn should have been a Division One football coach 10 years ago. And like you said, I, he passed up. I, I, I see him as a glue guy. He's he's not going to stand out, but he's the glue guy. The, the guy that can bring everybody together because, you know, he, he grinded for years. He took, you know, he, he coached at HBCU down at Savannah State. Yeah. And took them from literally the one of the worst teams in the country to win in a conference. So if somebody says, "Well, we can't do this," bullshit. I went to the worst and we won. Let's get this together. All right, Brian. Let's flip on this. Talk about recruiting. We talked about Quinn and his tweets while he's been recruiting. He said it outright. First week. Exclusive for the state of Virginia, outside of a trip to Georgia, although we did see Brad Glenn down there doing some other work. I don't know if that's holding on to Daquan or potentially other guys, but it looks like pretty much every coach is in VA this week. Yeah, everybody's uh, patrolling Virginia, it seems like, except for maybe Brad Glenn looks to be making uh, a trip back down uh, to Georgia. Um, they made a trip, I think, last week to to visit Wright as well. Um, they were at his high school uh, down in Perry. And what they've done in Virginia is pretty impressive because we've seen, uh, you know, JC in the 804, we've seen uh, Mines and uh, Cheetah out in the 757. We've seen Pearson and Marv and Quinn up in Nova. Um, you know, we, we've seen... Heck, Marv pry, was in the, out, pry out in seven five seven. Well, Marv was out in the valley today. He's yeah. down in Winchester. I mean, and and Stu Holtz down in Whitville. That's every section of the state. That's every section of the state's getting hit. We're, we're going to so, see Holt in the uh, in our stomping grounds by the end of the week, man. I, I definitely think he's taking the fifty eight corridor until he gets to about uh, South Hill, and then he's probably going to cut back. But it's just awesome to see that, and it's awesome to see the interactions. And it's also, and again, we've already talked about they get it, get it on social media, get it like this is where we're going, and and you see them going to not on, to the name brand schools. Yeah, you know, JC was at LC Bird. LC Bird's won numerous state titles the last few years. Prime them at Oscar Smith. Um, uh, oh, geez, I'm I'm blanking here. Cheetah was at Phoebe's. Yep. I mean, Davies old school. Davies old school. He was at Hampton. You know, they were Deep Creek today. I yep. mean, if if we could just find two players from Deep Creek of the caliber of Hall and Tap, we'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it, that's it, all it, you need. <laughs> the part is you're seeing them also go to schools that don't produce as much talent. And this shows you strategy because get in there early because every school at some point puts together or puts out a big time talent. Yeah. Yeah. This, this isn't going to be any more of a highlight, a handful of schools that we've had success at and then hammer that home and then hope we make some inroads with some of the top, top 10 recruits of the state. 
and land maybe one or two. This is going to be canvassing the entire state, building those relationships. And when you finally get, you know, one or two guys that start coming up through there, you got that relationship in place. You can have those, those, those discussions right off the bat and kind of get in first uh, with these, with these kids. And I think that's, that's important. Um, You know, I think we definitely neglected the boots on the ground uh, mentality uh, under the last staff in terms of sending guys into the schools consistently uh-huh. and not just when there's a, t- a top five player at that school. Yep. And that's what you can't do because you don't have the relationships and this is a relationship business. Yep. All right. The other cool part was kind of Brent Pry pulling out what his vision of essentially the big recruiting footprint, the six hour radius around Blacksburg. And that encompasses North Carolina, South Carolina, the DMV, obviously, Pennsylvania, Central into East Tennessee, along with obviously Virginia. Um, that's I think that's what we feel we've got to do. But yeah. what did, did it did it shock you where what he when he talked about opportunities elsewhere? Yeah. Um... So I think the opportunities elsewhere is definitely going to be some of our traditional stomping grounds with um, Delray Beach, Jacksonville. Uh, I think those are going to be areas that we still tap into. Um, you're going to get, I mean, if you talk about six hour radius, you're talking about the you know greater Atlanta area too, pretty much. Right on that's, the edge of that, it. That's like six and a half, right? Yeah. Um, we'll so, round up. Yeah, we'll round up. It's up. six hours and twenty. It's not over the six and a half mark. We're, we're, we're going to round back down to six. We're good. Let's let, let's rate Atlanta here. But I mean, we, we've done well in Georgia. Obviously, we got a coach in Georgia. Uh, you know, finishing out uh, the recruitment down there with Wright and some others. So um, I think Georgia's still in play. I think parts of Florida are still in play. But like he said in his previous comments, I mean, we're when we talk about uh where we're going to aim it, it, we're not crossing the mississippi unless there's already an established relationship with a family or a player or a coach in those areas so if you don't have a reason that ties you back to the state of virginia or to virginia tech we're not just throwing darts across the mississippi his words not mine big key darts across the mississippi so why I like him saying it like that is if there is a kid, for example, dad's a VT alum and it's an upcoming recruit, we're going to go talk to that kid. Yep. Why? Dad went here. Mom went here. Or, you know, it could be one of those things where, you know, you you, you kind of think a DB's been coaching out in Texas. If, if Xavier DB has a great relationship with a school down there and says this kid likes it, he liked me, let's go after him. What we're not going to see is we're not going to see our resources poured into that. It's going to be specific. That's So if we get a kid from Colorado, don't be shocked. If you get a kid from California, don't be shocked. But read why. What's the reason why we went out and got those kids? There's going to be a very specific and targeted reason for going after these players. Uh, I'd say probably the only exception may be a transfer portal ad. True. Um, just because depending on, you know, one or two years of eligibility, it might be worth a gamble on on going after a, a bigger time player for that one or two years, right? 
but if we're talking about high school recruits, yeah, I think we're sticking with that radius uh, outside of, uh, again, maybe dipping down into Georgia and Florida uh, yeah. on a consistent basis. But the whole thing with the Georgia and Florida stuff is a lot of those schools have connections to Tech. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the, all those Jacksonville, the, those Jacksonville schools, the Del Rey beaches. I mean, yeah. yeah, Atlantic and all those places down there, and, and there are numerous ones. They have an alumni, so it's one of those things where it's like, call up David Clowney. Hey, Clowney, we like this kid. There you go. There's your connection. David Clowney's yeah. an alumni there. Can easily go talk to the kid. The other piece that I don't think this is shocking. I think this is just the day and age we're in. Is he talked about two things? He talked about. The six-hour radius is because that's a drive-in. Yep. Six hours from anywhere, you leave it, you know, you want to go see somebody for a weekend, you leave at three in the afternoon, you're there by before the middle of the night, you have multiple days to spend and get back to your home. And he talked about how important that was, especially for these young men to be able to have, and he made sure he mentioned this, their parents, their coaches, their uncles, their family, their handlers, their trainers, to be able to come see them during those tough times. That yep. if kids having a tough time in the off season, and you know, let's say it's one of these kids who's you know from Columbia, South Carolina, or Charleston, get in the car, we're there in a day, talk to him, get him straight, come back. It's like Charlotte, get, Charlotte area kids. You're talking about a, less than a three hour drive. So I mean, well, Richmond three, Beach four. In and out. Even the kids he talked about, you know, cultivating those, recultivating those relationships up in Pennsylvania with Harrisburg, Pitt, Philly, Jersey, four and a half, five and a half hour drives. Yep. Easy in, easy roads in to Blacksburg. And it's like, it's like, again, he understands the relationship piece that if you have it where you can put people who this kid is comfortable around and they can get here when we need them to. It's going to make that kid's experience a hell of a lot better. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. All right. So the next thing he mentioned, and again, he, he had already shouted out, we've already shouted out Deeds. He talked about how Mike Villagrana was kind of put in charge of the fighting up Virginia. As we mentioned, we've seen where the guys were. And he went in there. Pry didn't have this conversation, which is, I love this because Pry's their boss. You tell the boss whatever he wants to hear, right? He took, yeah. Villagrana in and just kind of asked him, where do you have the best relationship? And, you know, I think that's why we're seeing where we're seeing certain guys at. Cause you know, coach Compton hitting us up here, huge things to have the players having their people present. Yeah. Massive. Big time. But, you know, he basically was trying to find con- Villagrana's goal of that meeting was find connections and send them in there. Yep. And I think that's big because when you look at how the state's been divided up, uh, you're seeing, you know, guys that have had success in those areas before you're seeing mines down in the beach. Um, you know, we got uh cheetah on the peninsula. You got, you know, Bowen in the DMV, you got, you know, guys, guys are, are really getting put where they kind of have a footprint. You got JC in the 804. He's had some solid success recruiting guys in the 804. Um, and JC probably, in terms of knowing the lay of the land, probably as good or better of anybody on the staff. So he can kind of 
fill in the gaps where some where some maybe some other guys are not quite as strong. So that's that's why you have a guy like JC on staff, aside from the Virginia Tech connections, aside from how good he is on the field. Yeah. It's it, it's it's true. So the, the way the state was divided up, and then you know, the the, the last piece, you know, on this sort of high school recruiting. And we've already mentioned it with the photos and how there it seems like there's conversations. It's not just what Coach Price said. We don't want to walk in and just give a handshake and a smile and a picture and leave. We yep. want to get to know everybody at these schools. That's why I mentioned earlier, JC was in LC Bird's building talking with an old basketball player that he went to yep. school with. You, 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 they were talking to principals. It's like if you get to know where these kids are from, it's it's more than likely going to help you out in the long run. You know, it's, you know, have a Hokie in the building and you're recruiting a kid, it'll, it'll help with another Hokie's talking to him. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think this is going to necessarily, you know, win us all the battles, but at the same time, it, it, it strategically puts us in as good a position as we can be in from Jump Street. And then after that, you let the chips fall where they may. Um, but I think the days of us not being in on a kid early enough are gone, not having the relationships with the coaches or the handlers to, to move forward with that are gone, gone. And I think the days of us giving up on a guy just because a big dog jumps in to the party are gone. I, I think we've got some, I think we've got some guys on the staff who'll go tooth and nail with the big boys as hard as they can. And I love to see that. Now let's not let's not um throw this. Brent Prowl was very upfront talking about the transfer portal, that he views it on equal footing, you know, with high school recruiting nowadays. And, you know, I, I tend to agree with him because there, there's a we, we talked about it early, like earlier this month, Brian. There's a thousand kids in the portal. Yep. Some of those kids, a lot of those kids can play probably a really good game of football, but they just need the opportunity. Yeah, I mean you're not you're not going to find, you know, you're not going to fill your roster out that way. But you know, the transfer portal is going to be your your whole filler, your immediate impact player on occasion. Um, and, and that's what he's, he seems like he's going to use it as, uh, obviously he talked about, you know, he was happy with kind of the, the progress we made on that front to kind of close out, uh, the start of the spring semester, um, you know, got four already in, uh, you know, possibly two more, um, you know, coming through. So, um, that, that's really big. And I think we're only going to see more of that as we get into spring, um, workouts, we get into spring practice. Um, you're going to start seeing a little bit more probably attrition from the current roster. You're going to start yep. seeing some more uh, movement in the transfer portal as we close out spring and then get into summer workouts. So uh, look for that. Um, he said he expected another wave after spring ball. So, um, you know, buckle up for some more po- portal chaos, guys, because it's going to be coming. Yeah, because he mentioned he talked about, you know, talked about having, you know, the the – winter workouts in spring, you're going to weed some people out. You're going to weed some people like, nope, this isn't what I want to do. I'd rather go elsewhere. Um, and, you know, we've already got four in, you know, two wide, two quarterbacks, two wide receivers. 
Are there potentially more coming? We hope so because we know, you know, we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, there's the holes we feel like need to be filled, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they fill them. Now, the other piece that he talked about was JUCO recruiting. He basically, that seems like he's for that. He specifically mentioned Lackawanna JUCO. It seems like Lackawanna to BT. Let's go ahead and get them going. But much like the transfer portal, the JUCO, these are guys who have been, they're older. They're more probably physically developed than high school kids. And to me, it's something we have not taken advantage of as much. I know Breon Murray and Amari Barno were two, but it's like, these Gerard are kids. previously. Yeah. Yeah, Gerard, don't ever forget him. <laughs> but it's like there's the opportunities with these guys the same way. And if these guys are true coming in as juniors, well, if they don't have the football sharps yet, right, but they have the physical body, you have three years with them. They can yep. register a year. Yeah, you have you have a lot more opportunity. You know, you talked about, you know, you got the high school kids for four to five. You get the JUCO kids for – two to three, three to four, and you get the the portal kids usually for one to two. So, um, and, and the portal sometimes even more, obviously now with the one-time transfer rule, you're getting some, some true freshmen coming in, some red shirt freshmen, some, you know, red shirt sophomores. So you're getting, you know, three, sometimes three to four years, even with those transfers. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see, but I think the, the Juco area is something that probably has been, uh, underutilized historically um, by Virginia Tech. I think, you know, you don't want to see a ton of players coming coming that route every year, but, you know, I think there's probably an opportunity for one, maybe two each cycle. I'd say a handful, say a handful of cycle. Somewhere between two to five. Okay. And at position, not necessarily a need, but positions needed of depth where it's like, we're going to go look at this offensive lineman from this JUCO. He's six foot four. He's already 310 pounds. Yeah. We don't need to worry about him getting in the weight room and gaining weight. What we need to figure out real quick is can we teach him technique and get him on the field, not this year, but next year, where he's a swing guard, he's a swing tackle, whatever. Yeah. And I know it's like give these guys a chance because some of these guys go there because they don't have the grades and then they work themselves into good things. Give the guys a chance. For sure. Um, Brian, we're going to hit this real quick. We don't have the spring game yet, but basically Price said we're pretty close. Um, do you I imagine we get something at the latest next weekend. Next weekend? Yeah. Okay. I could be wrong, but I, I think we get something by the end of the month. So We just need the game date. That's it. That's all, that's all we need. Game date. Yep. I don't even care when spring practice starts yet. I will in like a week, but just give me the game date, please. Um. Put it on a good date. Where we want to know, we want to put it on the calendar because we will be there. We are trying to be there. You can guarantee it. I ain't guaranteeing it. I got three. <laughs> All right. Um, last pieces, Brian was um, last two pieces. Let's look. First of all, you've mentioned before we're not a mom and pop anymore. Stuart Carter, director of football equipment, comes in out of Penn State. Cammy Nation looks like she's going to be hired in some sort of recruiting on campus role. The OG of the weight room is back. Jarrett Ferguson looking like he's going to be hired as one of the assistant strength and conditions coach. And then one sort of interesting piece, Shane Graham was offered a position by Coach Pry. Looks like Shane's going to take some time to step away from coaching. 
But, you know, it's it's like that support staff just keeps getting bigger. Yeah, and, and, and Shane talked about, you know, he said one of the upsides of that, he's, he's not on this staff, but the fact he's not on any other staff is that he can, you know, let his hokey flag uh, fly a lot more freely now, right? Uh, he can get up to games. He can, uh, you know, actively root for the Hody Hokies on uh, on, yeah. on Twitter a little bit stronger than he has of recent years. So, I think that's he, that's something in his comfort zone. I, I wish him well on whatever uh, the next venture is for him, uh, and look forward to maybe catching him up at a game uh, sometime this fall. But yeah, I mean, the the moves we're making off the field is definitely you know that signal that we're not mom and pop anymore. Um, we're running this thing like a business because it is. <laughs> it's a big dollar business at that. Um, let's hit the last piece here before we uh, go to break because we're an hour in and we're still on the presser. Does it shock you that someone like Brent Pry leans on his dad or someone like James Franklin um, for trust in a lot of the decision-making? No, because when he talks about how he built his staff and and how he plans to recruit Virginia, he's talking about communication and relationships. So, obviously, if if that's important to you, the person and the people that you're going to lean on is going to be your mentor in the sport and and your father. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he's reaching out to those uh, those people in his circle and, and and leaning on them when it comes to some of those bigger decisions. <clears throat> nope, not at all. And I think it's pretty cool. He, he he mentioned that, what, every wide receiver coach he interviewed, he talked with his dad about. I'm yeah. assuming his dad has the background in wide receiver. So, And they say he sat in on some of the interviews. So could you imagine, like, doing a Zoom and you see, like, there's an old guy in the background. Who the hell is that? It's dad. Oh, yeah. How's your dad there? <laughs> dad coached wide receivers for 40 years. Like, oh, oh, hey, that's cool. Awesome to hear. All right, Brian, one last piece. If you have not seen, folks, um, the salaries of these guys, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spec out or spec- specify out, go to Tech Sideline and look at David Cunningham's um, article on this. It is from the 14th. So just a few days ago, lays it all out. 5.25 million, 5.2 million, Brian. Yep. We're paying coordinators. Both over eight hundred thousand, lowest paid positional coach at two seventy five, basically right at two and a half million for each side of the ball. Yeah, big boy, big time. big boy moves, and you know I like kind of how things are structured. I know we had talked a little bit about, you know, some folks were shocked that 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 Marv hit up at at eight twenty five for a first time coordinator, and I'm telling you, and I've said it on here, we talked about it before. The starting price for a coordinator at Power Five is now eight hundred thousand dollars. Yep, that's the starting price. So I mean, we're just above that at eight twenty-five. Bowen's just just a little higher than that at eight fifty. Um, and and that again, that's the going rate um, for for big time coordinators. Now we could go and yep. get another Brad Cornelson, and we can pay them five hundred thousand dollars. But we don't want to go back to that, do we? <laughs> nope. I don't think we ever want to go back to that. So I'm good with the way everything is structured here. Um, you know, you got the, the running game coordinator and passing game coordinator making a little bit more. Um, you got 
defensive recruiting coordinator, Derek Jones, making a little bit more um, position-wise, as is J.C. Price uh, as associate yeah. head coach. But, you know, structured top to bottom, you know, I really like the way way the salary set up. It gives us a little more flexibility for some of those off-the-field roles and analyst roles. Um, some of those are still coming down the pike. Um, yep. So look for maybe a couple more hires in that capacity in the coming weeks. Yep, there is. And again, they they talked about, you know, old staff was 3.5 mil. We're over 5 million now. We're basically, what, second highest in the ACC. We're trying to, again, the, the what is it? The You always say the boats rise, ships, you know. <laughs> High tide raises all ships or some shit. There like you that. go, that. And this is what it is. This is your high tide football. And if you're paying those guys, the expectation is we're going to make more money there. We're going to be in bigger games. We're going to get bigger contracts. And that's that's kind of what it is. Again, go check out David's article on Tech Sideline. Very worth your time. Now, Brian, before we get into some more topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, so Brian, let's look next. Let's talk about the portal real quick because obviously there's been some movement there. And in the last few days, um, since the last time we talked, we picked up two pretty, one really big commitment and then one kind of makes sense commitment. Let's start with Jaden Blue, um, wide receiver out of Temple, um, six foot, 185. Back in 2019, absolutely blew up, 95 receptions, 1,067. Um, excuse me, 1,067 yards, over 11. Has tapered off in the last few years, but, you know, kind of seeing what he had to work with at Temple quarterback-wise, it makes sense. Um, but he's coming here, and I don't know how this is, but per 247, he's rated higher than Tavian Robinson. I, I can't see that, but how do you feel about Jaden Blue committing? Yeah, I mean – so for for the transfers, it's really hard to I think put a gauge on that, um, just because there's a disparity in the level of competition to a degree. There's a disparity in um, kind of who they matched up against, uh, the pl- the play calling, the play styles. Uh, it's a little bit harder there um, to to get a good gauge on that overall talent talent ability. But I mean, I think it's a good uh, a good a good commit for us because it definitely shores up a position uh, that was kind of bleeding a little bit um, as a result of transfers, as a result of a couple guys uh, moving on. So looking forward to see what Jaden can do. I think he immediately has some sort of role uh, in the two deep. We'll see if he's pushing for a starting role. I think he probably will. Um, So, you know, we'll see on that one. And then, you know, we had another one, Steven Gosnell, uh, Benji's little Benji's big brother. Benji's big brother, uh, UNC uh, transfer. Um, that's big because you know you're eating off a 
interconference rival rivals plate there. Um, You know, I know he wasn't getting a whole lot of push, Uh uh, but it, but anytime you can, you can steal one uh, from that school down South. uh, It's a good day. It is. And, you know, guys know a little bit bigger than Bland. He's 6'2", he's 210, so a little bit more body of a receiver. He was a three-star when he came out. He has not gotten much play time at all down at North Carolina. And then, obviously, with big brother, little brother coming here, it, it's really cool to see. It's really yeah. cool to see, again, brothers on the same team. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what he looks like, again, being that bigger body. And I just kind of go back through like Jalen Jones, Dwayne Lawton, and some of the guys already here. He's kind of going to be the biggest body of all all of them, unless I'm missing somebody. Did I miss anybody? Yeah. No, nah, I mean he's it's, in terms of guys that got serious run. I mean he's definitely a guy that, um, you know, could, could potentially have a role outside just because he is a bigger body, um, probably a little bit more of a possession receiver, a stick mover than a guy that's going to be a big impact in the downfield game. Um, So you got, you got to have guys like that. And I think, you know, size wise, I guess pay the only one probably in the same ballpark, right? But different receiver. Yeah. Different, different type of receiver for sure. Same body (laughs) faster. So, you know, definitely it's uh, one of those. We'll see. That's why we want to know when the spring game is because, you get to go to the spring game and you see these guys play. Sometimes things just pop out at you different. All right, Brian, two of our former quarterbacks committed in the last few weeks to play elsewhere. Knox Kadem going to head down to FCS McNeese State in Louisiana. And starting quarterback last year, Braxton Burmeister goes back out west, San Diego State to a G5. Um, I don't think that there's any shock with the uh, Knox Kadem one. And – Maybe a little shock with Braxton. I thought he might land at a power five somewhere, but you know, by all means, you know, San Diego State football isn't exactly wretched. So what what any any thoughts on where they landed or did they land exactly where they should land? I mean, I think not not Knox has a good fit there. Um, you know, good good for him at landing there, FCS, McNeese State. I think that's gonna be a good move for him. I think he probably can get some get some run there. Um, Braxton, it'll be interesting to see. Um, a lot of people were talking about if he was going to stick with power five, he might have to change positions. Um, you know, ends up San Diego state might not have to change positions. We'll see, I guess it's going to depend on, um, you know, you know, what the coaching staff has in store for him. But I, I think probably it's a pretty good fit for him, um, being a, uh, a, a kid out there from California. So kind of gets back a little closer to home. Um and you know gets an opportunity to still be a starting quarterback. Yeah, and San, again, San Diego State this year went to a bowl game, was in the the Mountain West Championship game, so he's going to a good program. It, yeah. It's not like he's going to the low of the low. So good for him. You know, once Hokey, always a Hokey. Best of luck to both those guys. All right, Brian, I'm gonna give you three names in order. Tell me. And we're excited about all three, but your level of excitement and importance to the team this year that these guys are staying. Armani Chapman confirms he's returning. Johnny Jordan gets a sixth year, and Drake DeLewis gets a sixth year. Order one to three importance. 
Uh, I'm going to put, and it's just by a narrow margin, Johnny Jordan at the top here because I was insanely concerned about the center position uh, going Jack into this offseason. We're, we're looking at Jack Hollyfield or somebody transferring in. So getting Johnny Jordan back for six year that's huge in my opinion. Um, I'm looking forward to see him in a starting role this year. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him kind of being that quarterback of the defense, uh, offensive line. I mean, excuse me. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. So I think he's going to be, that's probably the, the most important there. Uh, we're a little bit deeper at corner, but I'm going to put Armani Chapman at number okay. two, put, put Chapman at number two. Um, I, I, I like his, his game. He's got some things he needs to clean up. He needs to be a little bit better um, with his hips, but I think that's something that we can work on. Um, but I think overall, I mean, he is a really talented player, and I think that him coming back definitely takes a little bit of sting out of of losing a couple players at that position in the offseason. And, you know, I, I I think it's close, but I'll put Drake at three, and, I, and that's only because of the guys that we have coming in um, at that position uh, with this incoming uh, freshman class. A couple of which are getting a full spring uh, heading in there. So, but I think Drake's going to play a big role for us uh, in in twenty twenty two. I just think the other two are just a hair more important in terms of the positions that they're playing. Okay, I hear you. Um... And obviously, you have your number one tight end already, right? With Gallo. Yeah. Um, although we could see, okay, what are we going to do different under, you know, Bowen? Oh, you're definitely going to see two tight end sets. You might see three are, tight end you, sets. You are. But the whole thing <laughs> is, Drake's always been more that joker where you see with Bowen, at least at Penn State, you've got to be a good a blocker as you have to be a receiver. You never had a lot of jokers up there. Framuth, Jacecki, and all those guys, you're going to block. And yeah. that's kind of Drake's weakness, hopefully. I think Drake's going to be used more uh, kind of like Dalton was um, in this new offense a little bit more just because he's going to be asked to block from motion a lot more. If it, He's going to be leading out a lot more versus being in line. Uh, I think that'll play a little bit more to his strengths, and I think it'll be better for the offense. Yeah. All right, one last piece, 2022 recruiting. Um, getting a preferred walk-on from IMG and Eric Casala to safety. Um, I don't think it ever hurts to get anybody from that school. Um, no. If, if, if their water boys needed a scholarship, potentially take it. It might be the best water boy you get just because they have that many good players coming out. Um, but, you know, We've seen more PWOs being offered here and there. Uh, any thoughts on this kid or just it's a preferred walk-on? Let's hope he's Sam Rogers. Uh, I mean, yeah, you hope that he's able to contribute at some point uh, down the road. But, you know, anytime you can, again, establish relationships like that with a school like IMG, um, I, I think that's important to foster those relationships. and. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I hope he does well. Um, but like you said, IMG, anytime you can get a uh, an IMG kid on your roster, take that opportunity. Take the opportunity. And if anything, what we talked about here in the States or in the state of Virginia, 
It's building a relationship, getting getting the preferred walk-on kid a scholarship. It might be in two years there's a high four-star, and because of that early relationship building, he comes. All right, Brian, let's switch gears a little bit for a few seconds here and talk about the Hokies hoop struggles. Obviously, the last two games have been wins. Yep. Um, and the the Irish win, the stats I'm about to give you kind of destroyed. Tonight, we survived the NC State from rolling a 17-point lead, but it kind of falls into everything. And I, I just got bored last week and – you know, this team's a top 15% scoring defense. And with 300-plus teams, we're roughly a top 40 scoring D. That's every game. With the exception of the Notre Dame game, we've been holding people, right? Yep. All right. With the exception of the Notre Dame game, we're a bottom third scoring offense, which is really tough to swallow when we know how good of an offensive mind Mike Young is. And, like, tonight – Ron, I told you before we got on, we were shooting over 70% from two-point range. The reason they were in that game is we couldn't hit the side, broad side of a barn with a three-point shot tonight. Yep. Couldn't hit anything. It was like 26%, I think, was the percentages up. And that kind of drives you insane, especially when you have such a big lead. And the only way the team can come back in is you taking – lower percentage shots, which the three-pointer this year just has been. Yeah, it's it's weird because we thought coming into this year that the three-pointer was going to be the strength of the team, and yeah. it absolutely has went the other direction. Um, between Naheem struggling from three, Storm struggling from three, um, everybody, you know, Couture having a couple off games, um, it's been, you know, hit or miss. Um, you know, thankfully we've had – some other things work in our favor, especially our defense. Um, but we we're struggling right now on the, on the, from the three point line, we got to figure out a way to kind of shake out of that funk a little bit because I mean, we know most of these guys can hit the three. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've seen Naheem do it before. We we've seen storm Murphy do it, albeit in a different league. Um, you know, they definitely have the capacity to do these things. <laughs> Three of 15 tonight combined for those two yeah. guys. You, you can't win many games, especially when, you know, we always, a lot of people think we, we get destroyed on the boards. Tonight we dominated the boards. In most games, we're right at that razor thin. It's like a, it's a differential of one. And, you know, as far as like turnovers go, we roughly are winning that battle every night somewhere between two and three. But I think my overall assessment, it's what these last two games were. They were nail biters. This is a good team. I think we're a good basketball team. I think if we got in the tournament, we could beat anybody or lose to anybody. We have the razor thinnest of margins. And tonight, for example, when you cannot hit a three, especially with a 17-point lead and you keep shooting – because I felt like every time I looked at the television between doing stuff around the house here, we were taking another three and missing it. Yep. And several times, like there was the, there was, it was not necessarily a super contested shot, but kind of a mildly contested shot 10 feet and in. And you're giving it up for a, where you are not making anything from. And that yep. makes me lose my damn mind. 
Oh yeah, it, it it got better when Mutz got really aggressive at going to the rack, um, whether it was himself or kind of attacking the paint and then finding a Luma or somebody else, uh, you know, down under the basket for an easy layup or an easy dunk. Um, that's when the offense was looking its best. Uh, it was looking its worst when we were again reliant on taking kind of open threes. Um, Good looks, but not necessarily wide open. Well, some were uh, wide open, and some were some were wide open. And I mean, there there were a couple that were just just missed. And you know, some of the problem is is that we're getting too late into the shot clock because Storm's having a little bit of trouble getting the ball up quick, getting into the offense. So that that hurts with the shot selection. You can't necessarily throw it in the post and kind of wait for things to happen. You got to do a little bit more around the perimeter. Um, so that, that's kind of hurt the shot selection side of things, but in general, we just need to make more threes <laughs> better, easier. And again, we know, we, we know they have the capacity to do it. That's why this is frustrating. Yeah. Um, you that's know, why. That, that's yeah. why it's frustrating because we've, we've seen these guys make these shots in these situations before. And I think it's also frustrating the fact, and you said this last episode, Mike Young doesn't have the quick hook for his shooters. Yeah. Like tonight, Mutt's, again, the two guys tonight, Murphy would probably be out there regardless, but, I mean, Mutt was two of nine. That's that's killer. And he was three of 15 in general. And, I mean, that's – Oh, you mean Naheem, right? Naheem. What did I say, Mutt's? Yeah. My bad. It's getting late, folks. I'm tired. You're good. (laughs) All right. A couple real quick things before we uh, call it a night, Brian. Um, CFP expanded playoff talk stalled. Um, not a shocker. And Jeff after it got punted a couple times, I was like, all right, we're probably not getting it where it's going to be ready in two years. We're going to no, have no, at least no, no, wait not until at all. 2025. Yeah, 2025 is probably where we're looking at now. But Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, came out and basically made a statement, being the first that says, now is not the time to make this change. And I think some of us get upset. Then reading Dennis Dodd's article a little further, basically every ACC coach said, no, now is not the time, that there are way too many other things going on with the new transfer portal, with the NIL deals, with so many other things going on, we don't need one more big change. Um, I, 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 I tend to disagree because – those things are done. Yeah. Those things are done. The NCAA completely dropped the ball on this. But then I looked a little further, and it seems like – Big that, time on NIL, but, the, you know, we, oh, we yeah. discuss, we've discussed that enough. We don't need to, oh, yeah. to beat and, that and, dead and, horse anymore. And I think the portal piece is we're going to finally see it to fruition with a normal year, how it's going to work. And we're going to – and it's almost like we want to see how this works a couple years down the road because – you know, if we're getting kids in and then they're trying to get back out and trying to get waivers, is it even worth it? But well, we, well, we saw the uh, – we've seen the portal in a true COVID year, then we've seen the portal in this transition year. Um, but we haven't really seen how the portal works in, normal in, a, normal, in a normal year where there's not, you know, super seniors and all this shit where you got to completely clear a roster and things like that. Um, I mean, it's definitely going to be – 
different than, than, than what it was in the past, but I think there's going to be some settling in once people get a better grasp of, of the portal. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I've said it before, I've got no problem with the way the, the portal is set up. Um, but like anything, when you get more freedom, you know, there's also more risk associated with exercising that freedom. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you get in the portal, it, it might be something where you don't get the, the calls you're wanting and now you're, you're kind of in no man's land. Exactly. You're in purgatory. Um, so so that, that's, that's the fear for some of these kids. And so the hope is that people in their circle are giving them good information, right? That's the most important thing. Now, the other big piece that now it kind of made sense to why they're rejecting it. If you go ahead and expand the playoffs now, it's currently under contract with ESPN. If you go ahead and expand it, that means you're expanding to ESPN only control. If you're not the SEC, what do you want? If you're not the SEC, you want a little bit more uh, coverage ag- agnostic uh, situation for the college football playoff. If there's going to be potentially eight games leading up to the semis in the national in the national championship game, if you are the ACC, the Big Twelve, the Pac, the Pac Ten, Pac Twelve. G5s, Big Ten even, even though the Big Ten has numerous contracts. You want to get everybody involved in taking these games. Yeah. More money, more exposure, and essentially don't let ESPN monopolize it because they've got the monopoly on the bowls. They've got the monopoly on the bowls. I think what, what this move, I think, signals is that they weren't ready to move forward with the ESPN situation, especially after the SEC realignment and how that really oh, kind of okay. threw off the the balance of the conferences. Yep. Um, once they saw that, they're like, "All right, let's 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 approach this a little bit slower, and let's see if we can get some things leveraged in our favor as we move forward with this." Uh, before we sign off on something that we're stuck with for a, a good number of years. Probably five to ten years. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how the talks pick up. I still think we're going to wind up at 12 eventually, um, probably 2025. But who knows? Now, speaking of national championship games, Brian, obviously <laughs> you and I both watched it. You won that uh, pick em, took Georgia outright, um, laying the points. But – did that game prove to you, Brian, that kind of an old school mentality can still win the national championship? Or is it the reason old school mentality one is Georgia has 26 NFL players on defense and even they can slow down Alabama when Alabama's missing a wide receiver? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think if you don't get an injury for Alabama. It's probably at least a different game. I don't know if it's necessarily still the same outcome, but I think it's a different game. Um, but I think Georgia showed that in the right circumstances, you know, going with that old school mentality of defense first, controlling offense, not necessarily needing to score a ton of points, but to just be efficient with the football. Um, I think that showed that that can still win. Um, 
but I think it was also a unique scenario because of some of the things that happened during the game. Also unique that there's guys like Jordan Davis that literally it takes two guys to block him every single time because he's that much of a man. Absolutely. But it was great to see Georgia win and kind of break the monotony of Alabama. Um, So, you know, we are right now, what are we, Brian? What are we, 10 days after the national championship, right? Yeah. We're 360, 55 days or something like that. Now I'm way off. We're like six months until seven months. <laughs> yeah, it's late. And I've, it's Math, late. math is a bitch. Son of a bitch <laughs> is what it is. We're like seven months until kickoff. Can't wait. Can't wait for spring ball and the rest of this off season, Brian. All right, Brian. Anything breaking while we've been out here? I don't see anything fun, man. I think we're good to to, to kick it. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We let our buddy Jason Long play us in and play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Also check out his YouTube channel where you can obviously see the songs that he plays for us along with some of his other songs, along with some cool cover songs that Jason does. We thank you as always for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies!